0: Good morning, good morning. It's so good to see you, welcome to Providence Church, my name is Jacob, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, thank you Pastor Mark for that beautiful prayer, you know, so much of what we do here is just grounded in prayer and scripture, scripture and prayer, prayer and scripture, so I hope that that was... Uh, a centering moment for you. I know it was for me. Um, I wanted to share with you a couple of things that are upcoming before we uh, get into uh, the message this morning. Next weekend is an event called Worship Without Walls, and we've done that many different ways over the years. Uh, next weekend will be taking place on Saturday and Sunday, so you can go to the program or prob.church slash sign up and see uh, many, 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 many of you already signed up for uh, projects, a lot of them taking place on Saturday, and then some that will be taking place like after worship services. We'll have our normal worship times on on Sunday, but go ahead and check that out. I want to lift up a few places, uh, uh, a few things that are still wide open because some of the projects have filled up. We have a foster care uh, training team where you'll be equipped to come alongside and support foster families that are part of Providence Church. Uh, We're partnering with a group called Rest Stop Ministries. uh, So there'll be a Rest Stop Ministries training where you'll learn how to help restore female survivors of domestic sex trafficking, a very important ministry in our area. And then another thing that that you can still sign up for is Wilson Rides which is an organization that helps senior adults uh, preserve quality of life for older adults by giving them rides and so you can uh, learn more about that so lots of ways to connect at Worship Without Walls but we'd love for everybody that can to be a part of that next weekend also wanted you to know that tomorrow night we're having a church-wide gathering this is the first time we've done uh, this uh, type of gathering and the purpose of it is is just to share with you uh, some of the about the ministries of the church some vision of the church but a lot about just sort of the administration and oversight and some of the finances of the church. We're just seeking to have these meetings once or twice a year to be transparent and let you know everything that's going on, allow you to ask questions. So uh, we would love for you to come back out just tomorrow night right here in this room at 630. We'll be sharing with you. Our scripture for today is Psalm 24, and it says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it. On the ocean depths, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. You know, we kind of nod along. If you're a believer in God, you probably would sort of nod along. The earth is the Lord's. Like, who else would, who else would the earth belong to? Who else owns the earth? Who else would be responsible for the earth? So we kind of nod along with that. But I don't know about you. When I get to that part where it says, "and everything in it," I start wondering, like, are we talking about everything? Like all the stuff we've even just mentioned here in prayer and, and held in our hearts today, everything belongs to the Lord. It reminds me of that classic moment that happens in almost every family when a mom is asking her child to clean up her room. And she says, I need you to clean up everything in this room, you know. And he looks around and he's like, everything? You know, <laughs> and she says, everything. And he looks again, he's wondering, what does mom actually mean by everything? So he asks again, everything? And she says, Everything. What Mom means by everything is everything. And the earth is the Lord's, and say it with me, and everything is. In it. I have something to tell you today that wasn't really taught to me on the front end, meaning like when I became a Christian or first started learning. I don't know that it should be, and it's not uh, intentional. It's just sort of overlooked because when you first come to know Christ, you know, it's just a, an amazing moment, right? Maybe there's a, a baptism there. You experience the forgiveness of sins, the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you start reading the Bible. Maybe you want to serve at something like Worship Without Walls. Maybe you're just amazed by Jesus' amazing grace in your life, but you may not have been told that when you signed up to be a Christian, you signed up for a different economic system, that when you signed up to follow Jesus, you just entered into a different economic system. And what I mean by that, it's not, I'm not just talking about money. It includes money, but an economic system are just sort of laws and principles that you don't even have to, it's not like you have to say, I follow those. They just are. It's just sort of what is happening that's moving the whole thing forward. The, the word economy comes from a Greek word that just means the laws of the house. It's just the law of the house. It's just what we're all operating under. So uh, God's economy includes your money, yes, but your time, your energy. Well, I think I would say it includes Everything. So Jesus knew that there was actually a different economic system that his disciples would be entering into. And he wanted them to understand it because a misunderstanding of how it works would drastically affect their hearts. There's a different economic system that we see and take part of when we are devoted and obedient to Jesus. You say yes to Jesus and you're just in it. So um, let me back up a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, the economic system of our world or of our land. I was reading this week about an economist in the 18th century, his name is Adam Smith. He's actually known as the father of modern economics. So his thoughts and writing set the stage for what most of global economics uh, live into today. And it's not that he created an economic system. He didn't. What he did is he pointed out what was going on. And in fact, the way Adam Smith talked about economics, if you've studied economics, and I haven't, <laughs> so if you study economics, is he talked about it as the invisible hand so he said there was an invisible hand, and he, was not, he wasn't really talking about God. He was just talking about that there's some things at work that we can't, uh, we don't have to do anything about them. They're unwritten, sometimes unseen, but they're pushing everything around. So he talked about, he actually named three laws of modern economics. The first is the law of self-interest. And the law of self-interest just says that it's actually a healthy thing, that you have a self-interest, that things would personally go well for you. Right? The fact that you want to provide for your family, that you want to do well, that you want to achieve, that's a good thing for everybody because you're pushing in a direction where uh, goods and things will be moved around. The second law is similar to that. He called it the law of competition. And so the fact that you want to compete, that you just have a natural drive to do better than the person that is around you, that's actually a good thing for everybody. Without competition, there's all kinds of problems in economics. And then his third law you've probably heard of is the law of supply and demand, which just means there's a certain amount of stuff that's available and there's a certain amount of demand or desire that those things would happen. This is fascinating, right? I thought you would love it. And so um, all of these laws set up for what Adam Smith uh, supported, which was a capitalistic type of economy like the one that we live in. What I want to tell you about are the laws of God's economy. They're based on Scripture, and they are driven truly by an invisible hand, most of the time they are unwritten, most of the time they're invisible in our life, but they're very, very real, and if ignored, will lead to a life of just living in man's economy and missing all the returns that God wants us to experience. In fact, I'm gonna be so bold today to say that understanding these laws will be a part of freeing you from fear, freeing you from anxiety, and leading you to have that legacy that you really want to have. God's laws aren't in contrast to the economic laws that I just just lift it up. It's not really that kind of argument that I'm trying to set up. Those things are all at work. We live in the type of society we live in. I'm not saying that for good or for bad. I'm just saying there are some laws in God's economy that are at work. And if we work unknowingly in contrast to them, we will not flourish. So the key principle for sure in God's economy is it all belongs to God. That's the key principle. If you get this, man, if we get this, like all kinds of things fall into place. It's something that's all throughout the scriptures, just like what we read from from David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What belongs to God? Everything. And so I'm going to call this today the law of ownership. Okay? The law of ownership. When you become a Christian, you signed up for a different economic system, whether you knew it or not. And with God, there's a different economy at work and it will affect your resources, your money, your time, your energy, everything. I'm trying to think how to, how to drive this home. Everything belongs to God. Your finances belong to God. Your family belongs to God. Your time belongs to God. This season of your life, it belongs to God. The struggle that you're in right now, it actually belongs to God, everything. Your house belongs to God. Your car belongs to God. Why? Because everything belongs to God. Your truck, I'm gonna make it real specific. Your truck <laughs> belongs to God. And this is where we might say, even as I was writing this and thinking like, what are you talking about, you know? Some of you might say, I got an F-150, it's paid off four-door, crew cab, six-inch lift, king wrench. And I would say to you, right, it's God's. And it sounds weird. I, I get that. My truck, I have a truck too, but I not F-150. But my truck belongs to God. And I, I want to tell you, like, ultimately, yes, ultimately your truck belongs to God. Mike, your truck belongs to God, okay? <laughs> ultimately. Practically, you may not have to think about that all that much. You might not have to think about all the time. You might have to get in and be like, you could do this, but you you might not have to always be thinking, this is God's truck, this is God's truck. Um, There might not be that many implications, but if God says, give your truck away, a faithful follower of God would say, okay. If you would say, no, that's the line. The truck is the line. If you would say, I won't give my truck away, that's too far, then you have the law of ownership messed up in your mind because you think you're the owner. And I know even right now you think I'm crazy, but I'm gonna, keep, I'm gonna keep going on this. I know very few people, so you can just relax, who've been asked to give their truck away, okay? But the implications on your heart are very real. If your stuff is my stuff, and my stuff becomes more important than my God. When we started this church, Uh, we need, I didn't know it, but we needed a trailer. I'm talking about when we were very early on. I actually had a station wagon at the time, not a truck. And the things that we would bring to set up for church in the morning would go in my station wagon. This table right here in the back of my station wagon. This actual cross traveled every week in my garage, in my station wagon. And the things that we would use to set up church in the Stoner Creek Elementary Gym, I would bring. And there was this guy who started coming to our church. His name was Kevin. He lived over in Del Webb. He was uh, in, his, uh, in his 50s. I think he may have even uh, broken the Del Webb age law or something when he moved in. Uh, I don't know exactly how that works, but I'm getting close to understanding. Um, and Kevin was a Harley Davidson guy. He loved motorcycles, and he owned one. And he had a trailer that he drove his Harley Davidson around in. And he came to me one Sunday and he said, God told me to give you my Harley Davidson trailer for the church. And I said, thank you. And we started putting all our stuff in that trailer. It it was emblazoned with Harley Davidson on the sides. It's still out in the parking lot. It was a really good trailer, really good trailer. And then shortly after that, there was this other guy. His name was Tommy. He owned a cleaning company, a janitorial company. By that time, we bought chairs. We had been renting chairs, but we bought chairs. We had no place to store the chairs. And so he came to me and he said, he actually called me and he said, I feel like God has told me to give you my truck that he had all his cleaning equipment in, like vacuums and hoses. And, and, and I said, Thank you, Tommy. And so we started having this janitorial truck with all of our chairs in it, pulling a Harley Davidson trailer. Because two men who followed Jesus understood the law of ownership to the point where they said, I think God is saying I'm supposed to give my stuff to the church. It doesn't happen all that often, but that's a part of the way that God's economy works when we understand that we're not the owners. You may have heard the expression, you can't take it with you when you go. It's kind of a cliche. It's also one of the truest things that you'll ever hear. It could change the way you look at your stuff, your money, your resources, your time. And you know, Jesus talked about money a lot. Sometimes we're uncomfortable to talk about in the church which is interesting because the subject that Jesus talked about more than anything was money. Why? Did Jesus want your money? Was Jesus trying to set up his TV ministry? No, he never accepted a dime. I used to say that here and now I have a TV ministry, you know, so I can't really say it anymore. Uh, (laughs) I don't really have a TV ministry but you know what I mean. Does God need our money? No. Why is he talking about money all the time? Why does Jesus talk about money? Because he cares about our hearts. He loves your heart more than anything. and He knows that when you get that ownership thing mixed up where you think you own everything instead of God owning everything, it can really mess things up. In the Bible, it says that God is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. And that's just a way of saying God owns everything. Monday night, Uh, Last Monday night, there was an Atlanta Braves game. I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan. And we gather when they play to watch them. And when we watch them, we put on the Braves gear, even when we're at home, you know, it's a really serious thing. And my nephew came over because he's a Braves fan. He wanted to watch it with me. And he had this brand-new Braves cap, the Austin Riley's signature on it. And Lydia, my daughter, she asked me if she could wear my brand-new uh, Braves hooded sweatshirt for the game. And I said, yeah, you can. Because this, this sweatshirt's really special to me. It was a gift from my family on my birthday this year. And this year on my birthday, I was actually in Israel. And so I was out by the Sea of Galilee on my birthday And my girls bring to me this present. I couldn't believe that they had thought about bringing a present all the way to Israel for my birthday. And so this sweatshirt's pretty special to me. And so we're watching the game. And some of the kids, Lydia included, are painting pumpkins uh, at the table. You know, it's just chaos at my house. And it's wonderful. And uh, Lydia comes over to me uh, a little while later. And she's holding the sweatshirt in her hands. And she says, Dad, um, I just got paint all over your sweatshirt. Well, in that moment, we were being no hit by the evil Philadelphia Phillies. It wasn't the best moment for that. And I said, uh, uh, "I said you got paint on my favorite sweatshirt. You know what? I didn't even know it was my favorite until the words came out of my mouth. I didn't know that I had named it anything. I didn't know that I had claimed it as great. I didn't know that I had set it above anything. And I said, give it to me. I said, I'm going to go clean it. She said, no, Dad, I'll clean it. I said, I'll clean it. And so while the game's going on, I go into the bathroom and I'm scrubbing this sweatshirt. I'm scrubbing it and I'm muttering. And my nephew who came over to watch the game with me is out in the living room. And my whole family's out there watching, probably just praying that the Braves would score a run so that I would ease up a little bit, you know? (laughs) And I thought, as I was scrubbing, I thought, what am I doing? And I tossed the sweatshirt into the hamper, and I went back out, and the Braves started winning. Now, I'm not saying there's a connection there, <laughs> but Austin Riley hit a home run in the bottom of the eighth, and we started winning. And Rachel said to me, she said, uh, right in front of everybody, she said, babe, she, said, she said, I wish you were at the game tonight. I love the Braves. She said, I wish you were at the game tonight. And I had had an opportunity to go to that game. And I said, I thought at first, but then I said, you know what? I'm glad I'm not at the game because I want to be right here with you guys because my treasure ain't no sweatshirt and it's not a team and it's not a game and I don't own any of that stuff. And that kind of talks really helpful when you're depressed because the Braves lost the series, okay? (laughs) But in all seriousness, the law of ownership frees me to be right where I am with the people that I'm with, with whatever I have, and be released from all kinds of fear. I don't have to fear my stuff getting messed up. You know why? Because I don't own it. Stuff way more important than a sweatshirt. This applies to. Pastor Andy Stanley, uh, who's a pastor in Atlanta, he's probably a Braves fan, Uh, he says, um, when you pursue a growing faith, you increase your potential for fear. Now, he's not saying that you'll have more fear, but as you step out more and more in faith, like many of us are doing as disciples, there's gonna be more opportunities to fear because we're letting go of more things. And so this understanding of ownership is what frees us from any fear, but there is something else we need. It's the second law of God's economy. It's the law of stewardship. The law of stewardship, it starts with the law of ownership. This law makes no sense if you don't believe God owns everything. But if you don't own anything and you have all this stuff, lots of us have a lot of stuff. So what is my relationship to the stuff? I got all this stuff, all this time, all this money, all these resources, all these things. Well, the relationship is stewardship. And I know it's a word we don't use that much, but the word is a very simple word. It's just the job of taking care of something. That's all it means to be a steward is your job is to take care of it. And so we actually are stewards of all kinds of things. We get to steward the money and steward the assets and steward our family. You get to steward the family, the time that you have been given. Some of us have millions. Some of us have much less than that. But whatever it is, we take care of it. And whatever you have, you won't own it forever. You actually don't own it. It's been entrusted to you. You've been, you've been entrusted with something for a moment. Uh, this comes from a, a deep foundational biblical understanding that comes in the book of Genesis. When God creates everything, so God owns everything, God creates everything, and he says to the people that he's created, here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. He says, work it, work it. In other words, we have been given all this stuff. Everything that we see has been entrusted to us, but we don't own it. First Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So everything you've received, the purpose is to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The return on the law of stewardship is, this one's great, is no anxiety Now I just said no fear, but fear and anxiety are a little bit different. No fear comes from knowing uh, God owns everything. Anxiety, as you hear from an expert on it this morning, anxiety is the manifestation of fear. Anxiety is how fear takes a hold of you. Anxiety is how it feels. Anxiety is what you're carrying around. Anxiety is the weight that is upon you. Well, because of stewardship, we can let go of anxiety because we don't even have the fear that comes with thinking we're the owner. We know our role. We know who's in charge, and much has been entrusted to us, which we could think could bring anxiety, but we don't have anxiety because we are simply caring for what God has entrusted to us. Easier said than done, right? So there are ways, what we'll be talking about over the next few weeks is the ways to live into ownership and stewardship that allow us to find freedom from fear and anxiety. And the best way to live into stewardship is to be very, very generous. The next law that we'll look at is called the law of the harvest. And we're actually gonna spend all next week on it, so I'm not gonna talk much about it now, but I want you to know what it is. And this is what it says. The more generous you are, the more generous you are in sowing seeds, the more generous you are in, in, in giving away, the more generous the blessing will be to you. That's the law of the harvest. We're gonna spend next week talking about it, but keep it in mind. I wanna tell you about another law that is not a law in God's economy, but it's really important to explain. It stands in stark contrast to almost every law that God has. But I'm gonna talk to you about it because it's being lorded over you right now. And it is the law of self-preservation. The law of self-preservation may be something you're living into right now and you don't even realize it. It's actually being shoved down your throat by almost every uh, area that could be. And here's what it says. Preserve your life. Preserve your stuff. Preserve your people at all costs. This is not the law of the kingdom. I know it sounds really natural, so hear me out on this one before you feel like resistance, okay? This is not the law of the kingdom of God. And it's not the law of Jesus' disciples. How could... Think about it. How could self-preservation be a prevailing law for people who are apprenticing under someone who gave their whole life away? I know this rubs against what seems natural, but it's actually not natural. This is actually a false doctrine that's being taught to us. It says take care of yourself. Keep yourself safe. At all costs, preserve your life. I know all that sounds really natural, and it's not bad in in, in its own. It's just not a law in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus says the one who loses his life will find it. Jesus says every day take up your cross and follow me. Jesus stretched out his arms and gave his life on the cross. So the return on the law of self-preservation, I've been thinking about this. If, if 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 you preserve something, what do you get? What do you get? You get preserves, right? If you can something, if you put it in a jar, it will be preserved. And preserves are good. Amen. Amen. I like preserves, but they aren't the same thing as ripe fruit growing on the vine. And that's the image that God has given to us in our relationship with Jesus: fruit that is growing. Thriving, flourishing, delicious, with seeds on it that can sow more and grow more. You can't grow anything with something that has been preserved in the can. But also, we have to realize that ripe fruit will eventually die. So, how far could I take this example? Okay. Preserve a cucumber and you get a pickle, right? Not bad. I like pickles. But some in the church have preserved so long that the church can become just a place filled with a bunch of pickles. A bunch of sourness. I may have taken it too far, but I thought I would, I thought I would see. The law of self-preservation says the more you protect yourself, the safer you will be. But a life, of, a life of self, there's all kinds of self-preservation we need to do, right? But a life of self-preservation leads to a shriveled heart. God's economy has a different law, a different way of thinking about this, and it's the law of pouring out. It says the more you give, the more you receive. So it's not saying you're not going to be preserved or safe or taken care of. It's just saying the way to that is different than the world teaches. The way to that is actually to pour yourself out. The, the law of pouring out says the more you die, the more you will live. The more you go through suffering, the more you can understand the power of life. The more you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the more you will understand the power of sitting at Jesus' table and feasting, right? It says a heart poured out leads to a life full, rich, overflowing for God and for other people. 2 Timothy 4, 6, Paul's an old man, right? He's toward the end of his days and he says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. And the return on this is a legacy for the kingdom of God. That's what we want, right? The legacy that we want to leave is pouring out. When my first daughter was born, Mary, I thought that I owned her. I was so young. I won't even tell you how young I was when we had our first daughter. And I didn't understand exactly how all this was gonna work. And I had this kid and I, and I thought, this is my kid and I, I own her. But I learned very early on, I've told y'all before, I learned very early on that every, every breath in and her every breath out were out of my control. I didn't own her. I was given a role as a steward in her life and that that role has a name and the name is dad. But it did not keep her from skin knees. And it did not keep her from hospital visits. And it did not keep her from broken hearts. And it did not keep her from missteps. And it did not keep her from mistakes. So what could I do? I could sow generously into her life. Pour into her. I used to tell my girls when they were four, I loved when my girls were four. And I would tell them after their four-year-old birthday, after everything calmed down, I would bring them over and I would say, I got a deal for you, okay? I want you to stay four. I was like, think about it. I was like you, like, you like the situation right now, right? Me too. And so I told him that. I was like, if you stay four, we'll do this forever. I said, I'll take you to Chick-fil-A whenever you want. I'll never miss the park on the way home if you want to stop. We'll always cuddle up under a blanket and watch Little Einsteins before you go to bed. But you know what? I couldn't preserve a one of them. I didn't can one of them, not one of my girls stayed for. But this year, we flew to the holy land of our Lord and they gave me the best sweatshirt ever. And I watched my girls read the words of Jesus in a synagogue where Jesus said those same exact words. What I want to leave them is a legacy of generosity, I want them to know their mom and dad so generously into this church. I want them to know that their mom and dad so generously into the lives of the poor and generously into them. And I hope, hope, hope the image that they have of me, I hope my legacy is not scrubbing sweatshirts, even though I am prone to do that. Your finances, they all belong to God. Whew. Your family, every last one of them belongs to God. Your King Wrench F 150 belongs to the King, King Jesus. Your time, it all belongs to God. It's out of your hands. Your energy belongs to God. Your heart belongs to God, which means that you are protected. You are provided for. You are safe in him. And what that gives you the freedom to do is pour it out. In God's word, it says, God, for whom and through whom all things were made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering, his perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. And because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way, brothers and sisters, could he set free all who have saved their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus sets free those who are pouring out their lives to him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Let us pray. Holy God, as we come to this table, which represents the pouring out sacrifice of Jesus, as we come to blood and broken body, as we come to what it means, we we receive the gift. And so, Lord, as we come to communion, let this juice be for us, Christ's blood, and this bread, his body. Let us receive the gift of knowing that you own everything and you have given to us such riches, entrusted them to us so that we could steward them faithfully. We receive all this in Jesus' name. Amen.